welcome to the HJ Talks About Abuse podcast, the podcast where we talk about sexual abuse cases in the hope that it will assist listeners in openly discussing topics which have been ignored for too long. This podcast is brought to you by the abuse team at Hugh James. We are lawyers, so we tend to speak about the legal aspects of abuse cases, but we aren't too shy to speak up about the broader issues faced by survivors of sexual abuse too. We hope that you find it interesting, but more than that, if you are a survivor of sexual abuse, we hope that you find our discussion empowering. Hi, HJ Talks About Abuse podcast listeners. This is Danielle Vincent, the Senior Associate in the Abuse Team. And today I am joined by Gaynor McEwen from the Rape and Sexual Abuse Support Centre in North Wales. Hi, Gaynor. Morning. So we are going to be talking about the centre and some campaigns that are going on and some developments. But before we get into the podcast, I just want to give a trigger warning that anyone's listening that we will be talking about sexual assault of a nature. And if this is going to be triggering to you or upsetting, please do switch off and join us at another point. But I hope you're still with us because this is going to be a really great talk. So, Gaynor, just to explain to our listeners, we met at the Race Crisis Centre annual conference this year. It wasn't actually last year. We're now in 2023. So we met in October 2022 and I heard you give a fantastic talk. And then after that, I thought I would invite you on. So welcome. Great. Thank you very much. So today we are going to be talking about the fantastic work that your centre has been doing. Yeah, so it's uh, we're the Rape and Sexual Violence Centre in North Wales. We're um, the only provider of sexual violence services for all survivors of sexual assault, sexual violence in North Wales. So we cover a really large geographic area. I think um, it's somewhere along the same size of, as uh, Brunei. So that's how big it is. Lots of areas which are very rural, more sheep than people, apparently, <laughs> um, and quite a diverse community. So we have lots of challenges in that, you know, some of our clients live in very remote areas. Some clients live in villages where everybody really knows everybody and lots of of offences are committed within that village setting. You know, we have lots of opportunities, I suppose, or we're looking for lots of opportunities to try and engage with as many people as possible and to raise awareness of our service, because we know that actually it's notoriously underreported rape and sexual violence. Yes. And as you say, especially in smaller communities, if, you, if you've got somewhere that someone's going to go and you see somebody coming in or out of there, you know, that there's lots and lots of gossip, for example, in, in this type of situation. So you can see why it would potentially prevent someone from seeking your services. So that rolls us on to quite nicely something that your centre has come up with, which I have not heard of anybody else doing at this point. So this is fantastic. And this is what we're going to start with talking about. And this is your mobile therapy unit. Yeah, so I think we have we are the only organisation in, in the UK, actually, that has mobile therapy unit of this type. So one of the challenges, as I said, is that we're, we have a huge geographical area. We have offices across North Wales, but transport links aren't great in North Wales. 
there are not many opportunities to work within small locations and communities where, as you say, you would not be identified as going in to see somebody, doctor, your nurse, etc., hospital. Then we have libraries, etc. But again, the because of the nature of what we're discussing with clients, you know, we need to have confidentiality. We need to make sure that people can feel comfortable, safe and able to discuss what's happened to them. So we decided that we'd uh, look at obtaining a mobile therapy unit. So it's, it's literally a little camper van. We got some funding, 30,000 from the Welsh Government, and um, we bought a van which was then adapted to a mobile therapy unit. So it's much much like a, a small camper van. It's got a little couple of seats and table in the back. It is great because it's you know quite easy to drive. It's not the most huge thing, but it's perfectly capable of taking a couple of people, i.e. a client and a supporter if they need and a counsellor. And we basically launched that last year. So it's enabled us to do lots of things that we weren't able to do previously. We were able to go into lots of communities. We have signage, but it's removable. It's magnetic signage. Yeah. So when we're going to meet clients, we're able to just give them a description of the van, the number plate of the van, and meet them in an area where they feel happy um, and they feel safe and they feel able to discuss things to us with us. That can sometimes be in doctor surgery car parks. We've parked up in supermarket car parks where they're being used by the breast screening vans again that means that you know you've got lots of women men coming back and forth but it's not really identifiable as somebody going to that van and it also gives us a bit of safety because we've got other professionals working nearby children love it because they feel that it's you know it's something a bit different they get relaxed they they you know they they're able to do play therapy in the van we've got Play-Doh, we've got paper, we've got pens, we've got paints. So all of the stuff that we would do in an office environment, we're able to take on the road. And one of the other things that we're able to do with it, we're going we're going to things like colleges, universities, community events, races, runs, etc., fates. This year we're hoping to do the Eisteddfod to raise awareness of our services. So we're able then to put the signage back on. We're able to meet with people and get them to come to the van for them to be able to disclose should they wish to. And we obviously then have got a private space where people could talk to somebody on a one-to-one basis, but also for them to access information, support, advice and target hardening. Um, And what I mean by target hardening are things that will frustrate a perpetrator. So we have managed to get through capital funding, things like glass and bottle covers, straws. Mm -hmm. We were able to get testing strips so that people were able to put a bit of their drink onto a testing strip to see if it had been drugged. Um, And we managed to get those in actual strips, but also in wristbands. We were able to get bracelets, which, you know, we think will identify people as knowing about sexual violence, sexual abuse and spiking. And on the the wristbands, it says, don't steal my future, which is part of another campaign which we're running. And with that, we wanted to identify that people, young people that were out, women and men, you know, were aware that these things were happening and actually were saying to potential perpetrators, I'm aware this happens, you know, I'm not an easy target. That's been really well received. And as you can imagine, you know, that's one of the things as an organisation we struggle with is keeping up with demand for things like that, because we are a population which has a lot of tourists that come into North Wales between April and September, which multiplies our communities, but also Uh, means that we've got a lot of people coming, they're on holiday, they're relaxing, they're going out. But also we have a couple of universities and a number
number of colleges. So again, we get a lot of people that are coming in to North Wales, which don't always live here, but absolutely inflates our population during that period. And the thing with spiking is that our podcast listeners will know that we did something, we did a talk on it in the summer, was that, you know, we've always known about spiking. I I mean, when I went to university, my mum and dad warned me a bit, but it seemed that in the summer, it just went crazy again well I don't know if that's the right terminology but you know it was in the press and it was people being injected with things and it was like although it had been a risk before it almost become something that people didn't think about again so when I came and I saw that you had the strips and the drink covers and it's all things that people can easily pop in their bag so it's not chunky it's not intrusive on the night out and actually you you know it's just such an easy fantastic way of protecting yourself but as you say these are all resources that can be dried up pretty quickly if they're really in need but again yeah absolutely fantastic that you're able to provide these you know I think it's a balance um Danielle that you know we absolutely don't believe that women and girls and men should have to take measures to protect themselves. Yeah. Perpetrators should not perpetrate. You know, we should be able to go out, be safe, walk down the street, not feel threatened. You know, I have two teenage daughters, both of whom feel that it's inevitable when they go on a night out that they will get some sort of harassment. Mm-hmm. Um, it just becomes commonplace. That's unfortunately how we we are as a community, which we have to challenge. You know, we have to be challenging young men and saying to them, this is not appropriate behaviour and this is the impact that it has on people. But, you know, until we get to that stage, we have got to, I think, give people the tools to make them be proactive in feeling safe themselves. But this is not about victim blaming. It's not about saying to people, you know, if you don't do this, then, you know, that's what's going to happen. This is about us saying to people that we think that sexual violence is something that needs to stop. We need to educate people that commit offences. And by doing that, we need to be saying to people, I know that you are a perpetrator or potentially a perpetrator and I'm not going to be a victim. So it's empowerment, I would like to think, more than anything else. You know, we know that we had a huge spike in spiking after lockdown. Um, And I think I mentioned when I spoke to you last time, you know, COVID was a perfect storm. We were suddenly getting 18 year olds who for the last two years at that period where it's really your informative time of learning about relationships, Mm -hmm. what's appropriate, what's not, had not had that contact with other people, with other young people. And actually what they'd learned around sexual behaviour was probably on the internet or what they'd seen on television, which is completely inappropriate and absolutely doesn't, you know, it doesn't bode anyone like it should be in, in the real world. So we had unleashed these 18-year-olds. They'd not had that time to, you know, form that kind of relationship with other people. And suddenly they were out. And we did see this huge increase in spiking. And in North Wales, Certainly we saw the normal spiking, but we had also the injections, which was very, very frightening for people. Yeah, you know, I completely agree, especially because these substances don't necessarily show up in your system. You know, we've talked about this before, that they're quite quick in coming out of your system. Mm. So, you know, the sad thing that I found about reading that and reading people's accounts of what happened to them is actually, as you say, as the victim questioning yourself, was has something happened to me or was did I just drink too much that, you know, not necessarily that they've got to the point where they were sexually assaulted, but they've woken up the next day not remembering how they 
got home and you're, you're right there needs to be a lot of campaigning and understanding that this is not a victim blaming thing this is perpetrators that should not be acting in this way it's unacceptable and we're also going to talk about in a moment the the other campaign that you're you've brought up which is actually really enforcing that I know that you said when we talked before that you you've done some things in universities at raising awareness and spoken to people and, and what was your finding there um, so we did freshers week one of the main reasons that we wanted to get the van up and running as quickly as possible was to to do freshers weeks in north wales because as i say we have universities so we went to universities and colleges and in one university and just one the findings we had uh, we saw over 500 students that afternoon out of those students every young girl that came to the van knew someone that had been raped sexually abused or spiked and one in three, it happened to them. So those figures, you know, for us, we expected to, you know, we expected it to be high. But that was absolutely, you know, appalling. It, it was it was saying to us that actually, again, highlighting what I've said previously, that young girls almost expected this to happen to them on a night out. Um, but for one in three to have been raped or sexually assaulted or spiked was was, you know, beyond what we expected, I suppose. So... We wanted to do something really proactive and it came off the back of, of the things around that had happened with Sarah Everard and, and, and other people who tragically had been murdered last year. And one of the things our clients tell us all the time is that their future is taken away. They don't know what the future looks like or what it holds for them or even if they want to have a future when they've been victims of rape and sexual assault. Most of our clients, unfortunately, will be self-harming or, uh, or have um, suicidal ideology. It destroys, you know, a person's personality and their hopes and their dreams. So we we thought that really was summed up by somebody stealing someone's future. So we wanted to start a campaign which directly spoke to young men, really, between the ages of 14 and 25, who seem to be perpetrating these types of sexual assault, harassment, spiking offences in the mainstream. So we wrote a programme, devised a programme, it runs for about two and a half hours and we've been delivering it. We've delivered in 50 schools and colleges in, uh, 50 sessions in schools and colleges in North Wales. It basically says to young people, this is what sexual offending, look, offending looks like. And it covers everything from harassment, you know, uh, to, to offences online, to touching, to sexual assaults, to rapes. Spiking is covered in it. And it shows the impact that has on the victim. But it also, and I was really keen to include this, shows the impact it has on the offender and their families. Because, you know, I think that we need young people to not be bystanders and to actually say this isn't appropriate, this isn't right. Because we all know that, you know, there's nothing worse for somebody walking down the road than if there's a group of young people who are potentially making sexual innuendos, sexual threats, or behaving in a way that makes somebody feel uncomfortable. And really what we wanted to do was encourage other people who may not be doing that directly to speak up and say, stop, don't do that. It's not appropriate. And by doing that, we've, you know, we've uh, said to them, you know, if you if you commit these offences and you're found guilty, you can go on a sex offenders register. It will impact on your, your future on jobs. It'll impact on you travelling into other countries. This is the impact it could have on your family in terms of, you know, we live in small villages. If somebody's branched yeah. a sex offender, you know, the, it's not just them, it's the whole family that are impacted by that. 
and we've rolled that out in schools. The, the feedback has been phenomenal. But what also what's been interesting and what we thought would happen, you know, part of the, the lecture is interactive. And so we encourage people to answer, the young people to answer questions via a, a mobile link and they put a username in. And what's been really shocking, Danielle, the number of young men who put in Andrew Tate. And as we all know, yeah. Andrew Tate, you know, is, is is not somebody that we would want our young men to hero worship. And But that's the name they've been putting in because so many young men see him as some sort of idol and hero. And again, going back to what we were saying previously, you know, these are young men that for, for two years have been in lockdown and basically have just been informed by stuff that they've been reading online and seeing online. So it's about challenging that. Last week, actually, one was delivered. We had feedback last week and a young girl after the session had gone to the teacher and said, I'm in an abusive relationship I've identified actually that my partner who's older than me is actually grooming me and we were able to obviously then get her some support and she was able to then tell her parents so we're talking about a 15 year old who you know previously probably would not have seen that or recognized it but has been able to identify that and remove herself from from that relationship so you know we're really really positive about the program I mean I'm excited about it I'm excited to see the change in people as they go through the two and a half hours it's it's exciting to see those young men at the beginning of the session are saying that they're Andrew Tate by the end of it feeling quite embarrassed by what they said and trying to you know pull that back a bit it's not going to be the answer to everything, but I really hope that it makes a, a really positive impact and it deters people from committing offences and also raises awareness for the young women and young men in the room about keeping themselves safe. I think when I met you, that was the one thing that I really took away from it was actually looking at it from a different point. Now, I've worked in this industry for, for a long time now, and I always see it about the impact to my client and the impact to their lives and their family and their employment and schooling. And when I met you and I looked at your campaign, I now use that terminology when I've done quotes for other media outlets, especially when we had the Stephen Bear conviction is that this crime was committed, but actually the perpetrator, now look at your life, you know, you may never be able to apply for that dream job that you want because you've done something stupid, even if it was momentarily stupid and you've caused damage to someone else. Let's think about what will happen to you now. You may never be able to travel to certain countries. You know, again, like you say, the impact on your family, how is your parents going to feel if you're you know this is disclosed you're you're convicted especially as you say if you're in a small town and that's obviously always been in the background but it's switched the way that I've been thinking about it and perpetrators are in some respect are always going to be selfish and you know maybe that will be the stopping point of thinking you know not just I'm going to really hurt this person or damage their future but actually it wipes my future too and that's a really strong part I think that it will be useful for young people that, as I say, aren't actually perpetrating potentially themselves, but they are in a group of people and they know yeah. that perpetrating is happening. And it's very interesting to say that you do come across young men specifically that have this affiliation to Andrew Tate. And then by the end of your training or whatever we would refer to it as that they've completely changed the the mindset and that must just be such a positive for you when when you leave that course that you can think that you know actually this is making some difference because until sort of last week or the week before when the Andrew Tate 
blue I didn't actually know how much of a following he had I thought you know what a horrendous individual but I didn't actually think that he had men that were you know it it was thousands if not millions of men that you know really followed the horrendous things that he he said to me that was just shocking yeah and I think you know sadly not all of them change you know at the end of it there are some young men that leave the session and and I suppose the teachers reflect with us and they'll say, we'll never change this. You know, when that's not going to ever change and, and that individual's attitude will never change. And that is really, really sad. But as I say, if you can diminish the support that that individual has amongst yeah. his peers or her peers, you know, then that hopefully will stop them from being so um, brazen, open, continually offending and getting away with it and you know we people don't seem to learn you know we've we've had the the recent thing with Jeremy Clarkson you know that was appalling and it was horrendous that um, a man who then arguably probably is looked up to by older males would say such awful vile misogynist comments you know and have it broadcast if our podcast listeners aren't clear what we're talking about because of this when this podcast goes out it may be effectively old news but we're talking about the comments that he made about Meghan Markle after the Netflix documentary and the book came out one thing I wanted to speak to you about is that I'm sure when you gave the talk at the rape crisis conference you mentioned about speaking to parents of perpetrators and having you know mums talk about the impact on them and do you think that that's been a strong part of the campaign yeah so there's a section in the training which is a is is by a family member who who discusses that and i do think that has an impact and i i suppose my rationale for that was because in in the past i've i've had a lot to do with restorative justice when I, mean, I was a national lead for restorative justice some years ago and it's something i really believe in and having spoken to lots of offenders that were going through a restorative process sometimes the light bulb moment for them was the impact that it had had on their parents yeah. and their family their offending had had on their parents and their family because i guess when you're committing offences of any type you know the last thing you're expecting first of all I suppose is to get caught and then if you do get caught I suppose you're worried about the impact on yourself but the impact on families is is huge you know it's it's massive the impact on of offenders families because you know they might be forced to leave their homes they might be victimized they might be brought in for questioning because they, you know, in order to to see whether they knew about any of the offended behaviour, often their houses are searched, they're thrown into the public eye. And in, you know, cases where somebody has had a very serious offence, like sexual violence, rape or murder, you know, often the parents are blamed. You know, how could you have brought this person up? How, why didn't you see this? Why didn't you challenge it? And I think that, you know, most people, you know, unless they they have absolutely no morals or feelings, I suppose, most people still would want to protect their families and their parents. And certainly when I was doing the restorative justice programmes in prisons, a lot of the people that took part in that said the moment for me was when I had to apologise to my parents because I hadn't realised the impact it had had on my family. And so I was very keen to include that in this because I think that being a parent of somebody who is convicted of sexual offences is horrendous and all of that that comes with it 
and the blaming and the labelling. And it must be an awful thing for anybody to go through. And they are victims as well of that perpetrator. Especially, as you say, where your centre is based, is that not comparative to somewhere like London where someone's not going to know you. They're going to go to the local supermarket or the doctor's surgery and everybody's going to know who that person is. So, yeah, I think it's fantastic that you included that element into the um, training. And so, really, what's next for your centre you're very busy, clearly, at the moment already. Yeah, we are very busy. We've we've just had a, the highest level of referrals this year. So we, we did a media campaign based on Don't Steal My Future and some of our wonderful survivors agreed to go on camera and tell their story. And that was really powerful. And, and we're very grateful to them for that because that really has raised awareness of our services. And, and certainly our referrals since the campaign have gone up 40%. Wow. So it's massive. With that comes the challenges of meeting the demand, as you can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Again, at the moment, we have the highest level of children into the service or so under 18s. We've got about 25% of our referrals are under 18s. That's really worrying. I and mean, we're seeing a lot of very young children, sadly, being perpetrators as well as victims. And I don't like to call children perpetrators because I don't think they are perpetrated. I don't like to label children as perpetrators. So children that are expressing harmful sexual behaviour towards others. So that's something that I'm really interested in looking into this year to try and have to develop our services, I think, to actually support children who have been abused and are then demonstrating sexual harmful sexual behaviour towards others, other children. You know, statistics tell us that children who are abused are most likely to be abused by other children. So children like to look for victims within their own age group, which is startling, you know. But I think we really have got to do something in order to try and break that cycle and to to hopefully give people support so that they cannot get labelled and they don't end up on registers and offending. So that's one challenge for us. As always, funding's always a challenge for us. I really want to carry on with this Don't Steal My Future campaign. And, and again, we're, we're hoping to get funding to do that. And also with that, with the target hardening, because I think that's really important. And I think it's important for us to be raising that awareness so that everybody in North Wales understands when they see one of our, our armbands with Don't Steal My Future, exactly what that means yeah. and the significance of that and that they sign up not to, you know, not to perpetrate. Our programme has been endorsed by the Welsh Rugby Union, so that's really exciting. Oh, um, so we've started rolling it out in rugby clubs. And that's interesting because it's a slightly older age profile. But yeah, it's a really exciting time. As I said to you earlier, I'm, you know, I think there's lots that we can do, lots of positive things coming online over the next 12 months. But really, we just want to make sure that whoever needs support can access it as quickly as possible, because we know that early intervention is the best form of, of reducing significant long term harm. Yes. And any of our listeners, I will link the website to the blog that goes with this podcast. So if you've got any questions, I know that you've said that you'll be happy to field them. Hopefully I won't be sending you hundreds of emails. Nah, that's great. But also, if anybody has been listening to this, you know, and has been inspired, then there's links on your website about fundraising, volunteering, donating and yeah, generally getting in contact with you. And I know that you're also pleased to say going to be a speaker at our abuse conference in March as well. So 
if anybody's listened to this podcast and really enjoyed it as I have hopefully you will join us again to hear you great thank you Danielle thanks for the opportunity that's okay and thank you for joining me and that's it podcast listeners if you have any questions about this talk by all means do send me an email I'd love to hear from you and also I will pass them on to Gaynor if I can't answer them but yes thank you so much for your time that's been really really helpful Thank you for listening to this episode of HJ Talks About Abuse. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to speak to us about something you've heard today, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at aboutabuse at hjtalks.co.uk.